Our scripture lesson today uh, comes from a very difficult and often misunderstood passage of scripture. It's Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, uh, not to one individual. Uh, Let's share in God's good word together. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Please be seated. I know many of you in this room are going through a tough time. You're exhausted. The burden is too heavy. You don't know if you can make it out of bed, much less through the day or through the month or through the year. Maybe it's chronic pain. And that's hard stuff. You wake up every day in pain. You go to bed every night in pain. Or months of chemo. Years of grief and loss. This is all real life, friends. Now, in the middle of this pain and grief and sometimes despair, a Christian, a friend of yours, they they hear that you're depressed and not able even to get dressed or out of the house. And so, because they are a good Christian person, but also they live in Edmond, so they're in a hurry. They call you. And they say within the first 10 minutes, hey, listen, I got to go. But it'll be all right. You're going to be fine. You'll see. God never gives you more than you can handle, right? And you say? It's not that easy, is it? Well, I hope you'll say, it's just not true. That's just not true. And we are in our sermon series from now to Labor Day um, about simple sayings that are simply untrue. And this week we come to one of the big ones, God will not give you more than you can handle. Friends, if that was true, I'd be out of a job. As with therapists and doctors and coaches and teachers and all sorts of things. We actually do have people in helping professions because people do have more than they can handle. Think about your own life. From birth all the way to death, we have moments that we can't and we're never intended to handle alone. And that's really the the crux of the matter is whether you're going to handle it alone or whether there's actually a family of faith around you, a world around you that supports you. And sometimes when we come to these difficult sayings, sometimes we actually, if we're not careful, we'll actually assign the credit to Jesus for something that he did not say. Jesus never said that you won't ever have more than you can handle. And and when we come to these things, right, we've heard it. Sometimes we've even come to depend on it. And so when that happens, when our beliefs are questioned, we can become defensive, offended, combative, or even withdrawn. Like we don't don't even know what to do, so we, we do withdraw back into our homes, our bedrooms, and can't get out of bed. And part of what happens with this is, is that we may fear that if one of the things that we've heard or believed in our past turns out not to be true, then, then none of them are. That's sort of how our mind works, right? If this, then that. Well, of course, you know that's not true. There are all sorts of things that you believe that are true and things you learned later that are not true. 
And so you have to rethink them and start over and, and say, okay, well, which, which part of this is true? What part of it is? So in week one, we looked at um, one of my favorites, and that is sometimes when people are not getting their way in an argument, they'll tell you that doubting is dangerous. Well, yeah, because you're doubting them. Doubting's not dangerous, friends. It's just not. It's not always helpful, but it's, it's not dangerous. It's not going to take your faith away. So even everyone, including the most famous Christians, have doubt. All of us do sometime. And, and by the way, it'll, it'll be helpful to you if you actually own it rather than just deny it and act as if you don't, because that, that really messes with your head. Mother Teresa, one of, who I think is one of the greatest uh, Christians that lived in my lifetime, uh, she wrote this in her diary. It was found out later after her passing. She wrote, my God, I have no faith. If there be God, please forgive me. I am told God loves me, and yet the reality of darkness and coldness and emptiness is so great, nothing touches my soul. Well, man, if, if that's true for her, I'm in good company. Right? So are you. And the thing I want you to know is that doubt does not disqualify you from being blessed. God's bigger than that. Your blessing doesn't depend on you. It depends on God. Thank God. Right? So we, we know this in the Great Commission, the very, the very last thing in the, in the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus sends out the disciples. But look at this kind of disciple he's sending. The Bible says that now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, they worshiped him. Say it with me. But some doubted. Are you kidding me? And Jesus came and said to them, hey, y'all better get your faith right. No. What does he say? Go. Go. They had not completed a Bible study course. They hadn't had their background check yet, although we will do that. He says, go, make disciples right now. That's what you're sent to do. You see, faith is moving forward with what God is calling you into in the midst of your doubts. We do what we know we can do in the moment, what God's calling us to, even though we don't have it all figured out. We just take the first step, the next step. So that was week one. In week two, we asked, is it true that God just wants you to be happy? Well, no. God wants more for you than that. I mean, think about someone you love. Don't you want more for them than for them just to be happy? Wouldn't you like them to have a little character? A little kindness, a little mercy, a little chutzpah, you know, a little energy? You see, it, it, the problem with this thinking that God just wants you to be happy is that if, if you really believe that God just wants me to be happy, then whatever makes me happy must be right. You see how dangerous that can be. And whatever makes me unhappy must be wrong. Well, no, there's all kinds of things. I mean, if you want to be an elite athlete, I doubt that, you know, all of your workout routine early in the morning before everybody gets up is going to make you super happy in the moment. Well, sometimes it'd be really difficult. And what we find is that this holiness, this sacredness, this set-apartness that Jesus modeled all the way through the Bible, it's this holiness that's the pathway to happiness. It's a byproduct. As you get closer to God, as you live in his way, happiness actually surrounds you. Things like peace. Instead of chaos, surround you. But you're actually living with the God who loves you, who's working for your good. I got the idea for this sermon series from Reverend Paul Rasmussen. He's the senior pastor at Highland Park, where Chantel and I went to church when we were in Dallas when I was in seminary. He writes it like this. He says, the problem is most of us have been conditioned to believe that happiness and holiness can't cohabitate. That's just not true. God never looked down from heaven wanting his beloved children to be holy and miserable. Happiness and holiness are not at all. They go together. They really do. And, and then he used this example about a fish on a beach. 
You know, you can give the fish a million bucks, you can give it a lawn chair, you can do whatever you want to, but until the fish gets in the water, it's not going to be fully alive. Why? Because fish are made for water. And you were made to live with God. To live in Him and move through Him and have your being, His very breath, in your soul and in your life. The church has known this for centuries now. St. Augustine of Hippo, one of the early Christian writers, said, You have made your, us for yourself, speaking to God, O Lord. And our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. That's how we're made. So God wants much more for you than to just be happy. He wants to be with you. He wants to be in a relationship with you, which will make you eternally happy in this life and the next. And so this week, we come to something very difficult, and that is, is it true that God won't give you more than you can handle? People have said that to me because they want to encourage me at their best, and at worst, they just want to get on with their day without taking the time to actually figure out what it is I might need because they're actually not that invested in my life. They're invested in their life, and they want to seem nice, and that's a way to get out of a long conversation. So Paul writes to the early church in Corinth. Is, do y'all not know that? They're like, like, is that right? Yeah, that happens. Paul writes, no temptation. Now notice this is temptation, not struggle, right? It's not burden. He's talking about temptation. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to all of us. And God is faithful. Yep, that's who God is. He will not tempt you, let you be tempted, right? Beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, notice it's about temptation, 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 not burden. He will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Now, those of you who walked with the Lord a long time, you know this is true. You're tempted. Maybe when you were younger, you went to a party that you knew you weren't supposed to be at. And somebody comes up and says, hey, you need a ride home? There's your way out. And you say, no, I'm good. There's a girl I'm interested in over there. I'm going to be right here. And as you look back on your life, you had a way out. You just didn't take it. Sometimes you've had two and three ways out, and you didn't take those either. You see, what the Scripture is warning about here, Paul is warning the church to a very corrupt town. I mean, Corinth was a port city, much like New York and L.A. and Las Vegas and Amsterdam combined. Right? Everything that could happen in the world happened at Corinth. And so what the Scripture is warning about, Paul, having started that church there, it's about being overconfident, not about being overwhelmed. It's about saying, oh, I got this. I, by the way, we know around here that anybody says, oh, I got this, means they don't got this. Right? They're just getting ready to fall. So, so look at the way uh, Eugene Peterson translates this in, in Paul's letter to Corinth. He says, these are all warning markers, danger, 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 in our history books, written down so that we don't repeat their mistakes. Who's their mistakes? Paul, if you look at 1 Corinthians 10, 1 to 13, is recounting the Exodus event and all the mistakes God's people made. And Paul's like, don't... Don't do that. Don't fall for that again. We, we all are made this way, and, and the, that is natural that we are tempted and we fall that way. He said, but don't, don't fall for that. Don't fall for that again. Our positions in the story are parallel to the folks that needed an exodus, a way out. You get that? See, actually, he's saying a way out is also exodus. It's sort of a play on what he's doing. They at the beginning, we at the end, and say it with me, we are just as capable of messing it up as they were. Can I get an amen? amen. Right. Right, this is who we are. So, so Paul writes, don't be so naive and self-confident. You're not exempt. You can fall flat on your face as easily as anyone else. Forget about self-confidence. It's useless. Cultivate God-confidence. 
And if you look at Paul's writing, he's all the time talking about working in your own flesh and your own abilities, right? Your self-confidence. So what Paul says is when temptations come, friends, God will provide you an exodus, just like he always does. The interesting thing about exodus, though, is, man, they're scary. They can be scary. You think people are like whistling as they went through the Red Sea? This is great. And I got some Egyptians trying to kill me. I'm fine. God's with me. No. Sometimes it'd be really hard. So when we get to this verse that is often mistranslated about somehow you've got everything it takes, Paul writes, no test or temptation that comes your way is beyond the course of what others have had to face. That's what life is like. All you need to remember is that God will never let you down. He'll never let you be pushed past your limit. He'll always be there to help you come through it. Now, what you don't see is that every you in that text is plural. It's one of the things we really struggle with in the West. The Bible is never written to you as an individual. It's always written to y'all. It is. He's writing to the people of Corinth, the church at Corinth. He's not writing to one person who's got it all figured out. He says, look, together, with all of you together, you'll have what you need. God will provide a way for you. The yous in the text are plural, meaning that the experience of the testing and the efforts at handling it are never presumed by Paul to be borne by an individual alone. I didn't make that up. This is by Professor Sampley at Boston School of Theology. You see, when struggles come that are more than you can handle, God calls in others to help. You're never meant to handle it on your own. Not ever. I always think back to uh, when we had our children. I remember when, when Chantel had our oldest, um, her mama came. Well, thank God for mamas. I mean, is there a man in the room that was like, when we had our first child, I had it all figured out. It was fine. No, not at all. Thank God for extended family. So Paul actually makes the distinction between his letter to Corinth and his letter to Galatia. He says, actually, take care that you yourselves are not tempted. Bear one another's what? Burdens. And in this way, you'll fulfill the law of Christ. So what's it say? Let us, right? Not you alone, but let us not grow weary in doing what is right for, what's the word? We, not you, will reap at harvest time if we do not give up. It's written to all of us all the time. So then, whenever we have an opportunity, Paul writes, let us work for the good of all. And especially for those of the family of faith. Family of faith. Well, why don't we do this? Well, pride gets in the way a lot of times. And the other thing is we live in a different world where a lot of our support systems are scattered all over the country. Sometimes it's really hard for us to know who our people are anymore because they're not local. That's why church is so important. We're actually supposed to be there for one another. And, and one of the first things we have to do is actually learn each other's names so we can know how each other's doing. Again, uh, Professor Sampley says, God will not test us beyond what all of us can bear. Say it with me. Together. Together. Paul's outlook stands in sharp contrast with the modern tendency to privatize and individualize all religious matters and experiences, even including suffering. Suffering. Perhaps um, we were thinking uh, at staff meeting last Monday of all the great memories that we've had around this place, some just um, like Robert in the last year as he's uh, been new on our staff. Um, You're up to your anniversary now, just about. Welcome. Um, And so Chantel and I, almost 25 years now, 
And for me personally, as I look back over the whole thing, there's so much to celebrate, uh, whether it's you know, being debt-free for about a week and a half uh, when we finish that building, uh, or this building, or the next building. Uh, but what, my, what really touches my heart is when I had way more than I could handle. This was back in, I think, 2019, uh, and my left knee that I had blown out uh, when I was 16 running hurdles, uh, simply I'd had every surgery known to man that you could have, and it was time for a replacement, just a full replacement, which I was not happy about because I was, you know, 50, and they only last 20 years. I'm hoping to make it past 70. I'm not looking forward to the next surgery, right? I mean, it was a big deal to me. And, and it was one of those things as a senior pastor, what that meant was I was going to have to look to Brandon and be like, hey, <laughs> take care of everything because I'm going to be out for at least six weeks. That's what they tell me. And I was pretty nervous about it. Um, I'm, you know, when they use power tools in your surgery, that's like, that's a, that's a bad thing. <laughs> so I had all kinds of wonderful people in the church support me. And, and you know, one of the things I knew early on that I was going to make it, because I had the Yarholer team show up. This is Audra and Addie, uh, little ones that come right in. I mean, these are brave girls coming into the hospital and encouraging me. Right, and, the, and then the next thing, those of you who have done this, you, you know, one of the very first things they do is they make you walk on it. Right? By the way, legends are born in November. Um, so, it's my birthday. So, and, and my surgery was in November. So, the thing is, you know, step by step, was I alone in the first picture? Was I alone in the second picture? No. And, and the thing is, Chantel, of course, actually paid the most price. I mean, she was the one that really suffered, hearing me whine and all the rest. She took care of me. She's my primary caregiver. Uh, and we would, she would take me to rehab, you know, every day to do the work, which was not fun. What didn't make me happy. Uh, and I had a, a therapist named Shane, who's super good at his job, but he does not mind hurting you at all. <laughs> and so Chantel wanted to take this picture. He looks like he's such a sweetheart. He's actually pushing my knee back further than it would go on its own, which was incredibly painful, which is why I can't look at the camera, right? And, and, and the scar is, you know, about a foot long, right? So this is, this is, when I think about church, this is what I think about, of how great you all are. I never felt so much love in my life. Some of you came and read books with me. Some of you brought me food, and some of you brought more food, and then some more food. And, and you took care of Chantel as well. And, and, and the staff took care of everything here. Nobody rushed, rushed me to get back. Nobody told me I was a slacker. I was very well cared for because it was way more than I could handle, but not more than you all and I could handle together. So the phrase that God won't give you implies wrongly that somehow God is the one tempting you. God didn't blow up my knee. I did that. I pulled down my lead leg too fast. It's not God's fault. It's a choice I made. So in case we get confused about this, because bad stuff happens, real bad stuff happens. Some of you are going through it right now. But Jesus' little brother, James, says, you know, because people do get this wrong, he says, listen, no one, when tempted, should say, I'm being tempted by God. No one. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself, say it with me, tempts no one. God's not in that business. That's not who he is. It's not in his character. It's not possible for God. Again, Paul, um, Reverend Paul says it like this. If God will never give us more than we can handle, then we can handle it, right? And therefore, we should handle it. And we have enough energy and wisdom and ability to do it all on our own. The problem is God never said that. God never asked you to handle it on your own. Not once. That's not the way the world works. Any of you all choose the day you were born? 
choose your parents? Your mom went to care for you, feed you, change you? Like, no, mom, I got it. Of course not. The problem is the phrase implies that you've got whatever it takes in your own strength to face whatever comes your way. And that's just not true. It's never been true. Not from the day you were born. Now, I know this really goes against Western. I pulled myself up by bootstraps. No, you didn't. You didn't. I've never known an infant to pull themselves up by their bootstraps. They're cared for, nurtured, fed, cleaned up, loved, trained, taught, cared for. Sometimes by the people that gave birth to them and sometimes by a community of faith that just loves them because God is love. Again, uh, Reverend Rasmussen would say, and now, see if we fall for this, what we're left with is, of course, we're not able to handle the circumstance and on top of that, we layer it with guilt. We started with one problem and now we have two in Jesus' name. Because, you, you know, God will give you more than you can handle. As if that's some sort of panacea, which is just not true. And that's good news, friends. It's not bad news. It's really good news. That God has everything that you need, but not on your own. And we know this all the way through the Bible. King David, right? The man after God's own heart. He wrote about times of guilt and despair that were more than he could handle. He writes in the Psalms, My guilt has overwhelmed Overwhelm me like a burden too heavy to bear, clearly more than he could handle. I'm feeble and utterly crushed. I groan in the anguish of heart. Jesus, um, sometimes called the son of David, he takes Peter, James, and John when the situation was too much to face alone. He could have gone alone, but that's not what he modeled. That's not what he did, right? The scriptures tell us that Jesus went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. Say it with me. He took Peter, James, and John along with him. Wasn't meant to be alone. And he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed. Does that sound like Jesus is like, no problem, I got it? No, that's not, that's not what the Bible tells us. That's not the story. Jesus is fully human as well as fully divine. And he was overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, the scripture says. And he says to his friends, stay here and keep awake. And they do not. You see, friends, from cradle to grave, we are created to need God and one another. We just are. Adam Hamilton has a, a, a neat little book called Half Truths, and it's about half big, actually. It's a, it's a tiny book. And he says it like this. He says, it's not that God won't give you more than you can handle, but that God will help you handle all that you've been given. And that, that is true, of course. He's with us, with all of us. Because God never expected any of us to handle everything on our own. He just didn't. That's not our faith. Our faith is something that we do together. That we won't do it perfectly. And by the way, it doesn't even say that you have to like everybody that's helping you. Right? There were times that I did not like my therapist that was pushing me on my knee. But it helped me. Right? Now, some of you who are really deep thinkers, they're like, hold on a minute. Well, if God doesn't do it, how is it still around? Well, because there is hardship in the world. And God allows that, right? It's allowed. And you have to be really careful with this because God didn't do it, but it's out there, right? And if we're not careful, people will tell us really, really stupid things. My, my, the, the one that I hate the most is that when a child dies, someone, because they don't know what to say, says God needed another angel in heaven. God does not. 
God make whatever angels he wants. Doesn't need any of your children to do that. And his heart is broken for every person that passes. Right? So God's power, some people say, well, well God did it so you could see his power. Mm, probably not. And our need for one another. I don't, I don't know if he's doing, I don't know that I believe that. We do need one another, but I don't think God just pokes at people and say, like, see, I told you you need one another. That's not who God is. So, so Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, he says, We do not want you, all of you, to be unaware, brothers and sisters, not one person, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly, unbearably crushed that we despaired of life itself. Paul had more than he could handle. And indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, say it with me, so that we would rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. And I, and I do think that's true for me, for sure. That when things are going really well, I can make the mistake of patting myself on the back. Like, oh, look what I did. And then when things go wrong, I'm like, what did you do, Chantel? Or, or whoever else is around me, right? I mean, blame comes easily to us. But, but Paul says, no. Sometimes, you know, if we're wise, when that stuff comes, we'll look to God. And we do look to God more often in our hurts than in our joys, I think, often. I mean, we don't like to admit that, but I think that's true for many of us. And Paul goes on, he says, He who rescued us, God who rescued us from so deadly a peril, will continue to rescue us. Amen? This is who God is, right? I mean, you didn't use up your last chance. God's God's still rescuing us. On him, on God, we have set our hope that he will rescue us again. As you also join in helping us by your prayers. Oh, okay. So it's not just you and God. It's the whole family faith praying for you as well. Did you know you can actually make a difference in the world by the way you pray? By intercession? Praying for people. One of my favorite stories uh, is of a woman who uh, came to our church in the early days, uh, self-proclaimed atheist and agnostic. She went all the way through disciple Bible study uh, as an atheist. Um, And I I had asked her if she had ever been baptized. She goes, I don't think so. I'll ask my mom. And um, she said, because I really don't understand why I'm here. I don't believe in God. I don't believe in any of this. But I've just, you know, spent 34 weeks studying the Bible with you. Um, and what she found out was they thought she was going to die in the hospital. And so her mom had someone come and baptize her in the, in the hospital. She never even knew she was baptized. But she had this heart for God. Her mom had been praying that she would come to know the Lord. And that was happening right before my eyes. Someone was praying for her, blessing her. Adam Hamilton says, we face situations that truly are more than we can handle, and that's why we turn to others for help. We do. We need to turn to each other for help. So whatever you're going through, friends, I pray that you will reach out to someone. So here are your action steps for this week. There's two. One, uh, one direction, one the other direction. The first is this. When you are in a struggle, look for who God has placed around you who can help. Really. If you're in a struggle, look for people who are around you who can help. Now, again, remember, you don't have to like them. You don't. Just look for who it is. They may not even be people of faith. Right? And, and I'll just give you a, a kind of behind-the-table look here. Sometimes people come to me and they say, Pastor Mark, I want you to give me a, a good Christian counselor. And I say, no, that's not what you need. You need a good counselor who might be a Christian. You need somebody who actually knows their stuff and doesn't put Jesus' name on it. And, and hoping it works well, right? I want people to be actually be trained. I, I want a surgeon who knows how to do operations. And, and I pray that he's a Christian because that makes it better for me. But I'm not, I'm not just winging it with somebody who says, oh, I know Jesus, I'm sure the surgery would be fine. Never done one, but let's get, just get at it, 
right? So if you're in a struggle, look around for who God has placed around you. And then, and then, if you're not in a major struggle right now, seriously, the next person you encounter who's in a struggle, don't say God won't give you more than you can handle. Stop. Pray and say, how can I help? How can we help? How can the people of our neighborhood, of our church, of our small group, of our Sunday school class help? How can we help? Now, that's an answer that will change the world. I invite you to pray um, this prayer with me, and then we'll pray the Lord's Prayer together. Oh, God, how grateful we are for the way you walk with us in every moment of our lives. In those moments when we're tempted and tested, help us remember that we can resist and that you make a way out of temptation. Help us to surrender our pride and face the fact that there are a lot of things that we can't handle. Help us remember that these burdens did not come from you, but that you have said you would be with us and help us bear them. Thank you for people who come along our path and help carry us when we need it most. Help us become people who carry others when they need it. In Jesus' name, amen. Now with confidence of the children of God, let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen.